0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. All right, good morning. How's everybody? Good. Good to see you. Hey, if you're a guest with us, welcome. Welcome. If it's your first time here, uh, we are a family of missional disciples, and we want to multiply locally and globally as we trust that the Holy Spirit is actually teaching us what it means to follow Jesus. Um, and so this morning, that's really important because I, I want to talk more um, to those of you who want to live on mission with Jesus. How many of you are in the room and you're like, I, I want to like move past the Sunday morning kind of thing into what it means to live and leverage and resource my entire life for this thing called the gospel. Is that Good. And so if you're a guest with us and you don't know the Lord, you're kind of kicking the tires and asking the Lord, uh, like, hey, show yourself to me. Um, this morning is going to be helpful, but it's probably not specifically aimed at you. It is going to be aimed at people who are like, man, I'm, f- I'm all in. I really want to walk this thing out. Uh, so I want to ask you to go ahead and turn to your Bibles to Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 7, 28, um, not even close to Matthew. My name is Grant. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I would love to do that before you leave today. Um, As we prepare for that, just a couple of things. Tomorrow night, uh, for those of you who are participating in Good Neighbor Tutoring, we have an open house. Um, We're actually going to be hosting um, at Body of Christ Worship Center. Our volunteer team and their volunteer teams are joining together to collaborate in meeting the needs of our neighborhood and community, which is a really powerful thing. Um, and so one of the things that I would ask for some of you who may be looking for opportunities to get involved with something, you're not, you are not—you got a Monday night free, um, we actually need to beef up our cooking team for that. And here's the goal. Every Monday night, we're going to host kids in from Hannon Elementary, third graders, and we want to be able to feed them a meal many of whom would not have a meal or don't have the available resources to eat on those nights, and their families are kind of scrounging and trying to make things work. Um, This is one of the poorest schools in our city. It's a Title I school with the highest population of kids with diagnosed disabilities, Uh, if I can paint that picture for you. And so we believe this is a direct missional need in our city and a complete outworking of what the gospel does in us that we would love them well. Um, And so we have tutors who are going to come alongside of them every Monday night for 34 weeks, 32 weeks, Michael, I don't know, however many Monday nights we have left in the school year. Um, And then we also want to feed them this meal Um, And so right now, we've only got a handful of people. Carrie Hudson is somewhere in here or around here. She's participating in that. But we need a handful of others who would be willing to come and help uh, build a solid rotation of meals coming to these kids on Monday nights. And so if you have questions, you'd love to jump in and get involved. I'd love to get you some info. Please come and grab me right after uh, the service. Or Michael, will you raise your hand? Everybody look at Michael. Tell him how wonderful he is. Oh, he's wonderful. (laughs) He's wonderful. If you talk to Michael today, he will remember your name and your birthday and where you live and like all the things. He is a walking database. It's unbelievable. I think he's running for office. Um, And so for me to say that is something special because Chrissy accuses me of that. Um, And so go talk to Michael. He can give you some more details about how to get involved. Uh, Lastly, last week we had 168 people in our building for our gathering, which is amazing. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, We don't believe that numbers tell the whole story, but they tell a story, and part of that story is uh, we got to get better at organization. (laughs) That was the story we heard last week, and so um, one of the things we're doing is putting in parking uh, a parking team to just help people find spaces when they come in on the weekends, and we also need some people who are... Um, security-minded, some of you guys who naturally move to the very back row of the room and you're in the corners checking all the perimeter, you know who you are. Um, I don't want to ask how many of you are carrying. That would freak me out. Um, <laughs> like, when ISIS was an issue, I was like, just send them to Georgia for a week. It'll just take care of it, you know? Um, what we want to do is we want to do better at organizing things and taking care of our body and our guests. Good. And so, um, if you're here and you're like, man, I've got a heart for that. I'm kind of chilling. I could lend a hand. Please come and talk to me. We'd love to get you moving. All right. All right. We're in week four on this series on marriage. And I just want to ask why in the world are we spending so much time talking about marriage? Obviously, there's value in us understanding God's design for marriage. How many of you have felt like the Lord's teaching you some things about biblical marriage that perhaps you weren't executing on or you didn't know? Anybody? Yeah, me too. Uh, And in the midst of this, Chrissy and I are still trying to figure out how to do marriage really well ourselves. And so I can teach you something that's maybe two-dimensional or three-dimensional by the Spirit on Sunday, but all of us have to fight for this thing and work for it. Amen? Like, you can't just phone in a good marriage. You don't rubber stamp a good marriage. You fight for a good marriage. And every single one of us has to learn that lesson. Um, But the reason that this is so specific to who we are as a body is that, um, as you guys know, if you've been with us for any length, our goal is not just to get you into the building on Sunday. Like, it's nice when there's a lot of faces in the room. But that's not the goal. The goal is that you would learn how to live on mission as an intentional disciple of Jesus and do it with the community of God. Our goal is to actually see you mobilizing and implementing the things that the Word of God is teaching you and the Spirit of God is teaching you. And that's going to go way past uh, cinder block walls and uh, praise services on Sunday morning. That's going to be something totally different. Um, And so the, the area where I believe the Lord wants us to go in this is understanding that if we can talk about biblical marriage and you can grab a hold of that and we can talk about biblical mission and you like get that and it gets in you, but somehow those two worlds don't collide, then we still have something that's really broken for most of our body. Because the majority of our body is still full of married people who are trying to figure out what it means to be faithful to God and to do that in the context of marriage. And that is wildly different than just being faithful to the mission of God in the context of singleness. It's a challenge in singleness. It is a challenge in marriage, right? Because we have two humans now who are trying to figure out how to carry out their own will and trust the Lord and be faithful to what God is saying. And so we want to cause these worlds to collide. Um, I think as a pastor, one of the things that I've seen through the years is that one of the greatest deterrents to people being faithful to do what the Lord has called them to is being married to someone who isn't surrendered to the Lord, number one, or who isn't willing to partner with them on mission. Now hear me. I'm not trying to be hard on anybody, but it is dynamically important that we understand that if we are called to be faithful to the Lord, me as a a husband and as an individual human, and as my wife is called to be faithful to the Lord as an individual and a human, when we come together together, We can't go passive, one or both of us. We are both still called to be faithful to the Lord. And God has, he is teaching us how we are to walk this thing out. Um, When I was a kid, my mom used to always tell me, she's here, this is my beautiful mom, she looks uh, just like Mary Poppins. Um, She does, she's so lovely. Um, And she has the most sweet southern voice in the world. That's how I heard her my entire life. She's the sweetest. If you don't know her, you need to. Um, she'll hug you till you cry. That's her thing. Okay. She would always tell us, boys, because she had three boys, she said, uh, boys, don't go searching for a girl. Run your race and what God has called you to. Man, I just realized how cool it is. That you, uh, sorry. That you shared this with me. Uh, sorry, I'm a softie. Um, <laughs> run your race. And then look to the left and the right and see who's running alongside of you. There's, there's quite a difference of going on this search for the perfect person. And then once you bind them to your life, you realize that they're going left and you're going right. And the pull, the tear that that creates in us as Christ followers specifically, where God has called us out of the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of the son that he loves. And the way that I walk this thing, that it, it matters who I bind my life to. Are you with me? It's not small. Some of you are here today and you're like, I'm just barely figuring this out, Grant. This feels overwhelming. Hear me. God is so merciful and so gracious to teach you how to follow him, but you can't follow him by just continuing on in the same old ways. God's actually calling you to obedience to Christ and doing that with a spouse becomes really, really important. Um, And so I want to talk to you about what it means to be married and on mission Um, and i we don't do titles usually, but um, this is marriage on mission. That's really what I want this working title to be today. Uh, Paul actually cites this kind of tension for us as a reason why you should hesitate before jumping into marriage. And this is what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians seven twenty-eight. And so I want to speak to those of you who are wrestling like you desperately want to be married and you're in the room, and to those of you who are decidedly single and you know that you're living singleness on purpose, and for those of you who are married and struggling to work out all the pieces of this thing, um, 1 Corinthians 7.28 tells us this, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Don't laugh so soon. We've only begun. What I mean, brothers and sisters is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it weren't theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. And I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Now, now listen, the, the time when Paul is writing this, the church is literally being murdered all around him. Um, Nero had a way of taking the people in the church, and he would cover them in tar and pitch, and he would put them in baskets and light them on fire to light the colonnade around his, his palace. They would take Christians and stitch them up into the skins of animals and put them um, out in front of lions so that they would be consumed. This was the context of this letter. And I'm afraid that as much as that brought a clarity to vision and mission for the early church, um, the freedoms that we enjoy have also brought a sleepiness and an apathy to this church and to the church in the West. And what we will continue to see is that God will continue to keep this message, I think, really plain in front of us that the time is short. It may be convenient and comfortable for us right now, but hear me, the time is short. It's, it's not long. Paul says there's an urgency to how we're called to live. Ever since the time of Jesus, the church has lived with this radical call to stay alert and to be ready. Like over and again, Jesus tells stories of what it means for the bride to be ready. Um, For the ladies to keep their oil lamps filled and prepared for the bridegroom's return. Everything was about alertness and readiness. Readiness for what? Well, Jesus seems to be saying that we need to be ready for his impending return. Listen to his language here. Um, Those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they didn't. Those who are happy as if they weren't. Those who buy something as if it weren't theirs to keep. What is he saying? Excuse me. He says, don't get lured to sleepiness and distraction by what the world is consumed with. Notice these aren't bad things. He's like, you bought something? Great. Like I... He says, actually act like it's not yours to keep. Are you super happy? Hey, don't get too locked up in that. <laughs> Our culture would hate that. You know, where we chase happiness with everything. He says, look, don't get lulled to sleep by your temporary disposition. Keep your eyes laser focused on what you're called to. And one of the things that Paul says is, if you're married, don't live like your marriage is everything. Now, is he saying to ignore your wives and your husbands? No. He just told us in Ephesians 5 that our marriages result in people seeing the love of God for the world. And he actually goes on in the same verse to say that marriage has some intrinsic responsibility and obstacles that come with it. Uh, In other words, it's impossible to be married but stay living like a single person. Are you with me? But he is also saying that marriage is not the point, not even for the married person. Your marriage is not an end in and of itself. Your marriage is meant to be lived on mission. Are you with me? Now, this is wildly challenging because our culture has built an idol out of happy, fulfilled marriage. Don't get quiet so soon. We've built an idol out of it so that we see it as the goal. It's not the goal. How many of you are married and you're still chasing happy and fulfilled marriage. Like this is this ever moving target that keeps getting faster and faster and trying to figure out how do we stay happy and fulfilled? Something's unhappy. Something doesn't quite seem fulfilled to us. The same invitation is extended as it is to every single person in the world, that the fulfillment of all things is Jesus Christ. That he is the goal, that he has come and laid down his life, that he is returning for a spotless bride, and that he wants a people who are so submitted and surrendered to who he is that we live with him as the center point, as the catalytic moment of all of our lives and marriages. Your marriage is meant to be lived on mission. And for some of us, maybe for all of us, this is a foreign thought. But what I want to convince you of today is that God's vision for marriage is not two people who build their dream house and have perfect Instagram reels and live in beautiful sexual satisfaction all the time as though that's the goal. God's vision of your marriage is not to upgrade your furniture and your vehicles and have special vacations every year until the time that you pass on or attaining more junk that you're going to leave when you die. Hear me, what I'm leveling and spiking into, and perhaps in an uncomfortable way, is the American dream is not the gospel. And our, biblical, our idea of marriage being the fix all to everything is not the gospel. Hey, and here's how I can prove it. When you die, are you and your spouse going to stand before God and give an answer? You're not. You're going to stand before the King of glory. By yourself. You came in by yourself, and you're going to go and stand before him by yourself. And on that day, we will all give an answer for everything we've done. And only he knows the motives of our hearts. Now, this is really important. God's vision for your marriage is the divine collaboration of your gifts and the supernatural grace and resources between you and your spouse all to one end to accomplish the great command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and your neighbor as yourself and to accomplish the great commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Your marriage is meant to be this divine collaboration of your gifts and your supernatural graces and the resources that God has entrusted to you for the sake of loving him and others in every way you can and to lay your lives down so that others may come to the knowledge of who Jesus is. Are you with me? Does your marriage look like that? Does your marriage at least have that motive burning under the surface? Is that the engine? Are those the pistons that fire and pump the engine and keep everything moving in your life? If you're unmarried and you're hoping to be, I hope that you feel the intensity of what I'm saying because this is why it is so vital that you don't just find someone who kind of likes Jesus and will go to church with you on the weekends when they're filling up to it. But that you are moving into, and again, hear me, I just, I feel pastorally the thing right now. If you're not following Jesus, this is going to sound very commanding. It's like when you go to somebody else's dinner table and mom and dad are talking to their son and daughter about things that they didn't do. And you're just the friend in the room and it feels awkward. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like you go over and your buddy's parents are fighting in front of you. <laughs> like, it may feel a little bit like that this morning. Okay. It's not meant to be, but hear me. If you're in high context, you're saying my life is surrendered. Like I, I, want, I want to do everything I can to follow Jesus. Then hear, hear the kind of command and the force of this. That, that we have to step past um, what we have formed um, as, as these idols of marriage. And if you're unmarried and hoping to be, it is really important that you find someone who is willing to lay down their lives for Jesus. And really is all in on saying, God, whatever you want. Wherever you want, to whomever you want, however you want, I'm in. Right? You're not just looking for someone whose sole goal in life is to eat good meals and go on good vacations. That's not the gospel. And it, it for some of us, is our gospel. And the Lord has to, he, he is confronting our gospel so that he can tell you what his gospel is like. His gospel is that the world is being destroyed with evil. And that He has come to redeem the world that He created in goodness by the blood of His Son, Jesus. And that Jesus will come back to rule this world as a new earth. And that He is going to rule the nations. Are you with me? We we are not in an uncontested space. We are standing in the midst of supernatural, infinite battle. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says... There's no grosser or greater misrepresentation of the Christian message than that which depicts it as as offering a life of ease with no battle and struggle at all. Sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life is a battleground, not a playground. One of the hardest things in the West is that we seem to be getting lured into this idea of supernatural experiences minus hardship that God will just call me to experience the next great supernatural thing, and that it never has any application of bringing change into a broken, devastated world. This preaches very differently here than it does in Istanbul, Turkey on a Sunday morning. This preaches very different here than it would in the middle of North Korea. Are you with me? So our our vision of the gospel has to take on a different shape. In marriages, we've got to be ready for that. We've got to be ready. For some of you, you won't work on your marriage because you don't see the point outside of your marriage. Look at it. He's actually calling you to be a radical witness to who Christ is, both in word and in deed. So it it demands things from us. See, the call of the gospel is that you will take what you have received and tell everyone, everywhere, precisely what that means. You are an ambassador. And the one job of an ambassador is to tell those who are sent uh, or who you are sent to the message that you were given. Hear me. You, you may have a seed of faith today. God calls you an ambassador to go and share it. Some of you are carrying testimonies of his faithfulness. God's calling you to be an ambassador and to go and to share it. Share those words. Share those messages. Share how God has pierced your heart and transformed your life. You're an ambassador. And it's important that you find someone that shares Common values and a common vision for what life with Jesus looks like. Singles, it's important that you find someone who shares that common sense. Now, I don't mean that you're incompatible if you don't hear the exact same word of the Lord. Hear me. All right. Or if you don't have the same dream about a nation or a vocation. Like, you don't have to be, you know, a Siamese twin to this person you're called to. You don't need to be connected in every single way like that. I mean that you need to share a common approach to how to put to work what God has commanded. A common approach. You have to learn that someone else is running the same kind of race, in my mom's language. Right? Now here, can I just give you a caveat? Some of you in this room feel called to vocational ministry, pastoring, teaching, pioneer missions work. Can I just, like, upgrade the stakes a little bit? If you're headed into that line of work, you need to be even more careful who you date and marry. You you cannot play around because that lifestyle of sacrificial leadership that goes a specific direction needs to have somebody of the same mind and heart. Because it's just not the same thing. It's one thing to just follow Jesus day in and day out. It's another when, you're, when God is calling you into vocational ministry. You know, Paul says, like, you shouldn't want to be a teacher. Not all of you should want to teach, is what he says. Because you'll be held to a higher account. Like, there are things that I will give an answer for that most of you will not. I'll stand before God. He'll hold me to a higher accountability. And in the same way, for those of you who long for you feel like God is calling you into vocational ministry. Hear me. We have to be very, very careful that we don't just date lightly and just like get into whatever relationship because she's cute or because he's handsome or talented. I don't care how talented or cute they are. If you're not walking with the same conviction and if you don't see the fruit of a life that is surrendered to Jesus, run away. Run. Run fast. Put on your best shoes, tie them tight, drink a body armor, and run. You know what I'm saying? It may seem like a good idea at the moment, but when you're 10 and 12 and 15 and 20 and 30 years in and the cloth continues to tear left and right because you're called to this and they're going this way, that's a real problem. Yeah. Yeah. Now hear me, God is gracious and he's merciful and he can work even in our mess. Amen? Yeah. Like he really can redeem everything, everything. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you phone that stuff in. Right. That's, there's a fight attached to that. So find someone who shares this common approach. Um, and the reason that we do this is because Christian marriage is not about marital bliss. Um, it's about missional faithfulness. Your marriage in Christ is about missional faithfulness. Your marriage is not about your marriage. It's about Jesus, right? Um, baby, will you come here? One of the images that I've found to be helpful through the years, if you don't know my wife, you should know her. She's great. You do not want your phone in your pocket. Okay. Yeah. Women's pants normally don't have pockets. Just thing. All right. They do today. So this is Chrissy. When Chrissy and I first got together, we were infatuated. How many of you went to that stage? It's like, there's nothing else that exists but this, this human. We did stupid things. We would stay up till 2 AM talking like most nights. And just, we would sit on her driveway and we would like have handstand competitions because we were super competitive with each other. And just, that's how we flirted. We were weird. Uh, and, and we would just talk and talk and talk. And in, in that stage of life, mar- our relationship looked like this. In the first couple years of marriage, it was just this. It was like, how do I just stay connected to this woman her beautiful brown eyes? I just want to focus on her the rest of my life. It's just me and her. here's the problem. (laughs) That is sweet and good for a season, but God has called us to this. There is a very real difference in you living your marriage to stay intimately connected, like that this is the only thing I've got going, to finding someone who can be a battle buddy and go shoulder to shoulder with me and fight through the darkness. Are you with me? Do you see the difference? All right. Thank you, baby. Y'all give it up. (laughs) there's a difference. There's a difference in how we approach things. It's beautiful to have that season of face-to-face where I am learning and growing with my spouse. And there are seasons where the Lord calls me back to that. He goes, hey, you've been mission ready for a while. You need to turn around and stare at your wife for a minute. And you guys have to build something here. But hear me, the vast majority of our marriage has not looked like face-to-face. That's the season where I learned that I can trust her and I can see her life and I know the quality, the integrity, the character, but I need to be able to turn out and to live faithful to what Jesus has called me to. Are you with me? And to do that, I got to have somebody who knows that our marriage is not all about her and our marriage is not all about me. It's really about us being faithful and looking out and having this mission readiness. Now hear me, if you're married and you and your spouse are on different pages about what the Lord requires of you please don't despair. The goal of this is for us to, to take an awareness of how we're viewing marriage so that we can test it and challenge it. Um, so don't, don't despair. But I also want to ask you to do this. Don't be naive. Don't be naive to believe that you're both living that way. Folks, God expects a return on his deposit in our lives. And don't be passive about discovering what he's given you and how you can use those gifts for his glory. Every single one of us has been given something and it's up to us to mine out the stuff that God has entrusted to us for the sake of his glory. So let me just ask you a question that may help to get the creative juices flowing. Married person, what would you do if it was just you and the Lord? How would you serve him? What are the gifts and the graces on your life that are so deeply and uniquely in you that you feel so called to? And when you do it, people experience the love of God. Does that make sense? Now, I want you to stop and ask yourself that, particularly those of you who are married, because it's really easy to go to sleep on those things that God has called us to. And here's what I want you to see, that that stuff doesn't just go away when you get married. That the things that God gives to you in Christ, like some of you have made these decisions to follow Jesus, he's taken a portion of his grace and his gift and he's put it on your life, right? Like, it's one of the most beautiful things that I've seen. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7 says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Listen to that. To each one of us, grace has been given. There's not a single one of you who are in Christ and are giftless. Some of you come into the body and you're like, well, I don't have that gift. I guess I got no gift. No, you can't be in Christ and not have gifts in Christ are all the gifts. And so if you belong to Jesus, he has vested his grace into your life, your giftings. Ephesians 2:10 goes on to say, for we are God's handiwork. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So God has given you grace, which is a part of his personality, his strength, his presence, his anointing. And he has given you specific things that he has planned out for you to do that no one else is meant to do. Troy, there's some stuff that's only for you to do that Christ has prepared in advance before you were born. It's just for you. Jacob, just for you. Like the Lord has planned some specific things that are just for you. And he's given you grace that matches that thing so you can walk it out. This is the call of the gospel and it's one of the coolest things that when you and I understand our unique calling and our unique grace that those things don't disappear when we say I do. Does it change? No. Does it go away? No. But it does become part of a greater collective grace. Now, I got to see this really beautifully. Uh, Andrew and Ellen Chalmers are in the back, and when I got to be a part of their wedding, which is really beautiful. Had you met Andrew or Ellen before they got married, what you would have experienced was two people who were fully and completely devoted to Jesus. Very independent, both of them. Hard-headed in all the right ways. Yeah? It was such a fun process to watch, two billy goats getting married, you know? Like (laughs) supernatural billy goats. Uh, But here's, here's what I experienced in watching them and watching many of you is two people who understood that their lives were fully surrendered to Jesus, full of gift and grace and resource. And then when they came together, that didn't diminish. It got exponentially bigger and louder. It took on a different kind of dimension. It was like a life of its own had exploded. So it wasn't this like half person and this half person. It was two whole people who came together in Christ, and something exponential happened. You know, I think the way that I described it was, it was like two unicorns found each other in the woods. You're like... <laughs> It's hard to find unicorns. I found two, (laughs) and they're here. That is how your marriage is meant to work. You know, when Chrissy and I got married, we tried to speak very honestly about this because many of you have gone through painful seasons, or you may be in a painful season. Uh, We had two families and bloodlines and gift sets that came together. And to be honest, the callings and gift sets weren't easy or even a great match at the beginning. Like, we really loved each other, but we were a funky little match, and we really had to work things out. We were immature in a lot of ways. We didn't know how our graces impacted each other and where they pulled on each other. And honestly, if you were to ask me or Chrissy, we would both tell you it took us the better part of 10 years to get into a rhythm. Now, I share that because you don't have to go through the same things those of you who are looking to be married. And for some of you who are married, you got the same story and you got the battle wounds to prove it. And God has been faithful and gracious to take you through. See, we didn't understand God's grace was at work in each of us. And when you're married, you have to work out how to be faithful to what the Lord has given you to do and learn to make space for and celebrate and encourage the gift in your spouse. And at first, this may feel like you're living these two separate things, but in time... Just like all of marriage, you learn how to make this thing unite. And so, my goal today is for you to see that if you're not walking in unity in God's grace in your marriage, then you're missing a key component of what it means to belong to Jesus and be married. Is everybody okay? If you're not walking in missional unity, you're missing a key component of what it means to belong to Jesus and to belong to your spouse. So number one, let me just make two points here. Everyone who surrendered to Christ has been given grace. Say it with me. Everyone who has surrendered to Christ has been given grace. So if you belong to Jesus, you have this imprint of God's Spirit in your life. If you belong to Him, He's put His Spirit in you as a deposit Um, guaranteeing everything that he's promised to you. And with his spirit comes his grace. It's his nature and personality and power to accomplish his work. Remember that Isaiah 61 anointing that was on Jesus to set the captives free, to return sight to the blind, to declare the year of God's favor. If you go through Isaiah 61, that anointing that rested on Jesus, who does it rest on now? Us. And all of us have a piece of it, not all of it. You have a piece of this anointing. You walk in a piece of it, a fullness. If you hang out with Marielle after uh, service today, Marielle has a very specific anointing, a part of Jesus' grace on her life. If you go hang out with my mom and dad after the service, you're going to realize they have a very specific piece or anointing, a part of the anointing of Jesus to accomplish this Isaiah 61 task of redeeming all things. If you hang out with J.D. and Rachel, you're going to find a very specific piece of this anointing. But every single one of us has that. There's not a single one of you. You you, you may be down on yourself and feel like, I don't have what I need. You do. The Lord has given you grace. He's given you grace. He's given you his grace. He hasn't left you without. He hasn't asked you to do something you're incapable of. He's told you that he will empower you and equip you to do all that he's called you to. Every one of us has this work of grace inside of us. And so the first thing that we have to do is say, God, what is it that you have given to me? And for some of you, that may be a very frustrating process because you're trying to like nail it down and it's got to look perfectly clean and simple. And most often we discover the grace that's on our life by serving to meet needs around us. Hear me? And figuring out what you hate. (laughs) It's the trial and effort uh, our trial and error method. Okay? It's what are the needs around me that I can meet with the love of God? It could be somebody in your neighborhood or next door. It could be fixing a meal for kids on Monday nights. It, and, and like doing something faithfully and discovering what fits and brings you joy and what doesn't. You know, one of the great discoveries, I was talking to my, my dad one day and he said, um, you know, that word grace shares the same Greek root word as gift and joy. It's the same thing. And and the image for us here is that when you walk in the grace of God on your life, then it will be a gift to others around you and it will produce joy in you. What is the grace on you? What is the place where when you begin to serve others' lives, it produces joy in you? Like it's not even about you. You pour yourself out and you get the reward of joy. That's a beautiful way to discover it. God's given you grace. Secondly, every Christian marriage has to work to unify around each other's Grace. Have you guys ever heard two instruments that come together uh, and they play out of syncopation and out of rhythm and out of the same key? Anybody? Yeah, that's. You guys are experts at it. Okay, me too. Um, I'm like that on Sunday morning. That's why I sit up front. I sing into this abyss right here. The band catches it, but not all of you. Why? Because I'm going to sing loud and off key. Those two things together. It's a beautiful marriage. Some of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) There there is something about understanding that that when we are walking in dissonance, when two things are disconnected, we've got to work to get them to come together and unify. That sound of two separate notes, two separate keys, things that are out of rhythm, it is so excruciating and annoying and unpleasant. And hear me, when two strong people come together, oftentimes we think, man, this is going to be a powerful thing. Yeah, if they get on the same page. But if you get two strong people that come together, it's like turning the volume up on two instruments playing two separate songs at the same time. It's terrible. It grates your ears and annoys your soul. And some of you have been called to go and do incredibly detrimental things across the earth. Some of you have been called to serve like the most needy people in our city, or move across the country and solve some issue with economics or with food injustice or with poverty or with racial injustice. And if you're on separate pages with your spouse and you're trying to do this detrimental work, it will cripple you and your spouse. Are you with me? So what we have to do is to move from dissonance and playing in our own keys with our own melodies to harmony. And harmony is different. Now I'm not a musician, as I just confessed, but harmony, so the internet tells me, requires (laughs) collaboration, mutual submission, getting on the same page of music, and finding your common rhythm. So when you hear a band or singers that harmonize, have you ever, if you just take a little um, sideline tour? On YouTube and find like acapella groups. The thing that makes an acapella group so beautiful is that they have learned how to play their specific part to yield to their mates and to actually cause each other to shine. Each person knows when to push and when to pull back, when to give extra volume and when to turn it down. And when you hear them harmonize, they can flow with each other because they know where the other person is about to move and what they're going to do next before they do it. And they can complement one another and yield to each other and cause the other to shine. Now, that takes a lot of work. That takes a lot of work. And we need that in every component in marriage. But perhaps most of all in how we remain faithful to God's call. So how do we do that? Those of you who are married in the room, how do we do that? How do we take an intentional approach to learning how to harmonize? Uh, first off, we got to practice curiosity to uncover and celebrate God's gift in our spouse. Be intentional. Practice curiosity. You know, we talked last week about uh, washing our wives with the water through the word. One of the beautiful things that comes in that process is calling out the gift of God on our spouse's life. Like Because there are moments where I doubt myself. There are moments where I'm really hard on myself, where I have uncertainty or insecurity. And in those moments, Chrissy is empowered from on high to tell me who I am and what the grace is on my life. And it changes things, right? And vice versa. I'm called to clothe her and empower her with this gift and this grace that God has given to her. Maybe you and your spouse aren't playing the same tune, Maybe you're here today and you feel dissonance, like you're always thinking this way and they're always thinking that way. But what tune are they playing? Like stop and instead of us, because if you're married, you know the, the drill, we can move to criticism really fast when we're on the same page because we feel uncertain and insecure. Right? Real talk. And instead we need to stop and say, hey, why, what tune are they playing? Why why does my wife think like this? Why is her mind wired to go this direction all the time? And how do I call out the good stuff that God is doing in her? How can I say, hey, there's some grace in there? i got to find it. Because right now all I see is dirt, but there's gold under the surface. How do I dig in, mine in, and say, God, what is the grace that's on his or her life? Some of you have just determined that this is a place where we're different, and you have permission to stay annoyed at your spouse. And the Lord wants you to get it through your hard skull, I'm talking to myself, that His grace is at work in your spouse, and you have to mine out where? You with me? <laughs> is everybody okay? Okay. We have to be curious and say, God, where are you at work? What is the thing that you're so uniquely doing through Hugo that can't be done anywhere else, Right? What is the thing that's so uniquely happening in Cheryl? God, how do I come alongside of Cheryl and magnify the grace on her life, on on Hugo's life? How do I come alongside of them and harmonize? Now, here's the beautiful thing about harmony. You know, we can actually be very different people, but God can create a complementary sound that comes out of us. You know what I'm talking about? In music, they just call it a chord. A chord. You can take three notes and string those three notes together, play them at the same time and they play this complementary, overarching note that rings out. Right? It's called the root note. I did a little homework, guys. (laughs) Yeah. And here's the deal. When when you're married, that root note, that key thing that people experience from the outside when both of you are playing your distinct role is the Holy Spirit. It, it, It is the It is the sound of the Spirit. There's something unique that happens when Rick Collins is by himself and when Jane Collins is by herself. Those are two different worlds, I assure you. And you put them together with the Holy Spirit and that becomes a completely different planet. This is what God is inviting us into, is learning how to harmonize. And perhaps you're here today and you just think we're just too different. Your differences are not the problem. They're the invitation to harmonize. Your difference is not the problem. Married person, your difference is not the issue. Your difference is that you want to pull away from the other note and be a free agent note. And God hasn't called you to that. You're one flesh. You're one thing. And so you're going to have to learn how to complement one another with the power of the spirit dead in the middle of it. So practice curiosity. Secondly, be honest about the potential pitfalls. This is trying to be really practical with those of you who are in this. Be honest about potential pitfalls. Where does your strength and personality overpower your spouses? Like where do you overwhelm them to where it doesn't leave space for what God has put in them? You hear me? Now this is really, really important. How do we yield to each other and make room for one another to shine? Uh, When Christy and I got married, one of the things that I discovered, I was already in full-time ministry And so she married, and I'm from a ministry family, which means I could go at 90 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour in a specific way, with a specific grace, that probably felt like she grabbed a moving train with middle schoolers, which was like abuse. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just (laughs) honest. It It was rough. And us trying to figure out how these worlds came together. I took up too much oxygen. Hear me. My grace was taking up too much space and there wasn't any breathing room for Chrissy. Now we had to figure that out and some some of you families have had to figure that out. But here's the goal. We have to be honest about the pitfalls and how we make space for the grace that's on one another's lives. So how do I yield to my spouse in a way that makes room for her to shine? And this takes a lot of communication and being healthy enough to have your preconceived notions about how your marriage works challenged. Make sense, because if you come from a certain mindset, you perhaps think that your spouse is just there meant to just support your vision, your dream, your goal, your grace, and not that they have an individual goal, dream, grace in them. And we will both give an answer to Jesus Does it make sense. So we got to learn how to make space and be honest about potential pitfalls. Thirdly, make it really practical. Once you have determined, man, this is the grace that I feel like the Lord has put on me. Like, I've, um, like you have a passion that will not go away or a drive that you have to do something for the kingdom. It brings joy to the heart of God and to you and the people around you when you do it. Then when you're talking through that with your spouse, it's one thing to pitch a high vision. It's another to make a plan. You know what I'm t- saying? So it's like um, at, at church, I'm really great at saying, hey, I got all these ideas, But then Daniel Miller says, okay, but what are we gonna do? Ideas and what we're gonna do are very different things. So, how do we make it practical? We schedule it. Man, if you have this heart and passion to pour into women and to learn prophetic ministry, you're gonna have to put it on your calendar. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's going to be scheduled, and you're going to show up week in and week out and actually get the thing done. You're going to budget it. Maybe there's actually money attached to this, and it's going to affect your bottom line as a family. Grace will affect your budget. Grace will affect your schedule. Many of you aren't growing in Jesus because you're just too busy. And you got more money to go out to eat than you do to pour into the thing that God's called you to. Dang, I'm sorry. That was, mu- that was too much. Schedule it, budget it, plan for it, and talk about it. How many of you are married? Okay. It might be helpful for you to take notes right now. (laughs) This is going to be helpful, I promise you. Whatever the grace is on your life, schedule it, budget it, plan for it, and talk about it. Come back and say, how did that go? Are we making this work right? Do you feel like I see the grace on your life? How can I encourage you? Are we fighting constantly about the things that we feel called into in separate spaces? Everybody with me? Okay. So, that's all my practical advice today. I want to close our time with just looking at the power couple in the New Testament. And I want to talk about how this fleshes out. In Acts chapter 18, we see this beautiful couple who's mentioned time and again in the New Testament. In fact, it may be the only consistent group of people. We see... um, Julia and Junia in another place, um, but I don't believe that's applicable here. What we see is this this marriage, Aquila and Priscilla. And we see them mentioned over and over again because of their impact in the church. So let's read We're going to read Acts 18, 1 through 3, 18 through 19, and 24 through 26. I'm going to bounce straight through it. And then I just want to point out a couple things as we close our time today. Good? All right. Acts 18, 1 through 3. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they are, he stayed and worked with them. Verse 18, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers and sisters and he sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centria because of a vow that he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. Meanwhile, verse 24, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures and he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And he spoke with great fervor and he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. Verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, They invited him to their home, and they explained to him the way of God more adequately. Look at that. Aquila and Priscilla are the first dynamite duo in the New Testament. They're this couple that we encounter in Acts 18 because Paul actually goes to stay with them in Corinth. Now, it's important to see how they're introduced to us. They're believers who opened their lives and their home to Paul, who was traveling alone at the time. They used the gift of hospitality. Now, look at that. This couple who is so dynamite is introduced because they have this gift of hosting. They just say, man, Paul's this really talented guy. The Lord is using him. We actually want to inconvenience ourselves and use our time and energy and resources to make space for this guy to come into our lives. But it also tells us they're not just hospitable. They're also all in on following Jesus. How do we know? Because in verses 18 and 19... When Paul says, I really feel like the Spirit of God is leading me to Ephesus, they close up their house, they pack up their business, and they go to Ephesus, and they stay there for months and months and months. What kind of intentionality and missionality does it take to close up your house and your business to go and be a part of what the kingdom is doing somewhere else? Some of you in here, your hearts are burning to be a part of that kind of gospel movement. Then in Acts 18.26, they hear this powerful young guy, Apollos, preaching, but it says that he only knows the, the baptism of John, which is repentance and forgiveness of sins. So what do Aquila and Priscilla do? They pull him aside and they start to lead him in the way of the Spirit. They're saying, hey, repentance and forgiveness, great first step, but you're missing out if you don't understand the power of the Holy Spirit. You're missing out if you don't understand that the kingdom of God comes by the Spirit. And they use their gift of hospitality and encouragement and teaching to serve Him and to love Him and to shape Him. Do you see how this marriage is being used? This isn't one individual making a decision. This is two people who are leveraging their time and energy and resources all for the sake of promoting and building the kingdom. You know, it probably doesn't seem like a big deal to them at the time. Or maybe it does. Maybe like many of you, they've had a stressful season where You know, Aquila's got like 10, 10 orders and he's working overtime late into the night. And Priscilla's like, please, we need to spend some more face-to-face time together. I'm not getting enough of your attention. And suddenly, in the midst of this, they bump into this guy, Paul. And it's not just another outside thing. This is something that costs them. Do you see it? This is real stuff. It's not like some storybook. Aquila and Priscilla use what they have and the intentionality of their lives to make space for Paul. It was food and intentionality. And sometimes, folks, for those of you who are married, sometimes the most powerful weapon we have is a dinner table and an open heart to love somebody. Sometimes it's the most powerful thing that I've got. So I can give them time and food and my attention, and I can pour out what God has poured in. Single person, sometimes the most powerful thing you have is your dinner table. You think, I need to go change the world. Why don't you just set the table and invite somebody in who doesn't know Christ? Set the table and invite in your your, your neighbor who is underserved or underprivileged, who doesn't know Christ. Sometimes the most important thing that we can give is our presence and our intentionality and consistency. Often we get so locked up on what we don't have that we miss the simple things that make the biggest impacts. Intentionality and consistency and hospitality. And some of you may not excel in those gifts, but you have others. You have others. Some of you are deeply generous. You're generous with your time and your energy and your money. Some of you, you have that gift. It's like, it's not just tithing on Sunday or giving an offering here or there. You have this abundance to give and you live out of abundance in the way that you give to other people. For some of you, you're a servant. Like anytime there's a thing to do, you just say, I need to prioritize that and show up for that. I won't call it. Actually, I will. Joseph has been one of those stellar people who just says yes. If there's a need, he just shows up and gives his yes to that thing. Mikey Diney, who's, uh, he, he's away on his birthday today. Mikey's another guy. He just shows up. Many of you have been exactly the same. You just give out of the content of who you are and what you have, and it changes stuff. It changes things. Josh Love and Johannes, like you guys, Chris Selly. you guys are stellar. You set a foundation just by using the grace that's on your life. And so often we get so locked up in what we don't have. If I just had more time, if I had more money, what do you have? Don't tell me what you don't have. Tell me what you do have. We, we always work out of the grace that we do have. Catherine Kuhlman always said, God is not looking for gold vessels or silver vessels. He's looking for willing vessels. and It's our willingness to mobilize the gift and the grace and the resource on our lives to make a change. You know, their lives are so important that Paul actually talks about Aquila and Priscilla in later letters because they had so impacted the church of their day. It was widespread. Everywhere they went, they created an impact. Every single place. 1 Corinthians 16, 19 says, The churches in the province of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. Hear that. The church that meets at their house. Hospitality. This is a group of people who says over and again, our home doesn't belong to us, it belongs to the Lord. And we will utilize it for that purpose. You know, I wonder, I know for many of us in here, we've had experiences with people who are just like that. A married man and woman who come together and say, whatever belongs to us and whatever grace is on our lives, we will leverage for the kingdom of God. And for many of you today, you're married, but you're not dreaming about how to serve the Lord together. Or you don't understand how your graces work together. And I want to encourage you that it's one of the most fun things that happens in marriage. Is that God has uniquely put his fingerprint in you and your spouse. And you get to discover how that makes a beautiful, beautiful image of God that didn't exist before. It's a brand new thing. And so as we close today, I just want to ask you to do a couple of things. I want to encourage you to begin dreaming with the Spirit about how the Lord wants to use your marriage to create kingdom impact. Let me remind you, biblical marriage is not about marital bliss. Biblical marriage is about missional faithfulness. We are doing this thing with a partner because I can be more responsive and obedient to Christ with her than I could have been without her. And that's not true for all of us, but for me it was and is. And every single one of us has to give an answer for that. Perhaps today you're at odds with your spouse. You're not on the same page. And you need to just start by saying, Lord, what is the grace you've put on his or her life? Not like, Lord, change her heart, right? You know those prayers you start with? Change his heart, Lord. Lord, change my heart. How can I see my spouse like you see my spouse? What do you see that I don't see? And how can I encourage her? How can I uplift her? How can I make her shine? And as we do that, we start to get God's vision. So let me just pose this to you. If you're taking any notes, what gifts has God given you that you can bring glory to his name with? What gifts has the Lord given to you uniquely that that you can use to bring glory to his name? And secondly, What are the gifts and graces on your spouse's life that he or she can use to bring glory to God's name? And how do you make space for both? It's very simple, but it might be really helpful for us to ask. You know, as I look around, um, I'm reminded of the number of people who have been these catalytic couples in my life. You know, I talked about my my parents. My parents have always set a foundation that we're always living on mission. I remember as a kid, it was kind of disconcerting because it was always like, the second that the Lord tells us to go, we're gone. And so as a kid, we're always like, all right, we're leaving any minute now, you know? (laughs) So we kind of lived with that mindset. But what it did was it built in this missionality that where we lived and what we were doing at the moment wasn't the biggest goal. It was being faithful to the Lord, whatever he says. And for some of you, you have dug your heels in To an existence just to build your little kingdom here. And the Lord is saying, I want to invite you to dream with me about what your marriage is meant to accomplish. To cut off all the tethers and the things about your little kingdom and marital bliss. And to instead set your attention back on Jesus. And hear his invitation to be a part of this radical journey to follow him. To spread the kingdom of God all over the earth. This is the most beautiful invitation. It is a life full of adventure when you say yes to Jesus together and you discover how each one of us plays a part. Amen? Amen. All right, why don't you stand to your feet? Hey, if you're married in here and you really just want to make that commitment to each other, like we've got to fight to make space for each other's grace and to be active in saying yes to Jesus, um, I just want to ask you to do something right now. Even though I use the uh, face-to-face, shoulder-to-shoulder image, why don't you just take your spouse's hands and turn face-to-face? And perhaps for you, um, and this is good, if you singles are uncomfortable, you'll be Okay. Um, our married couples need this reminder. Look into the eyes of your spouse for a moment. Uh, This is your partner. This is your partner. This, This is the promise of a suitable helper with the Holy Spirit. And God has given you the gift of this person to help you run your race. And so right now, right where you're at, why don't you just begin to pray over each other? And husbands, would you lead in just saying, God, we want um, what you want for our marriage and family and begin speaking blessing over each other would you father we lift up these married couples in this room I thank you Lord for the couples that create impact and Lord they create a wake a tidal wave of difference through the gifting and the grace on their lives bound to one another I thank you Lord we need more Daniel and Tori Miller's. We need more Rick and Jane Collins. We need more JD and Rachel's father. We need Andrews and Ellen's. God, we need um, each and every family in this room, Eddie's and Carla's and Trish and Brandon, Father. We we need Brandon's and Riley's. God, we need people who are faithful to disperse the gift and the grace on their life. Father, for Hugo and Cheryl, we need them for Damon and Zoe, Josh and Chanel. Father, I thank you for Joseph and Hannah, Lord, in the back. I thank you, God, even for my couples whose names I don't know. Father, I thank you, God, for Cole and Sarah. Lord, I pray that you would bind them together in power and strength. If you're a single, would you stretch out your hand over these couples right now and just pray for them, intercede for them. The enemy wants nothing more than to distract and destroy the grace of God on their lives by destroying their marriages. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If your spouse isn't here, but you're here and you're married, would you just lift your hands to the Lord as a way just to join? Father, I thank you. Lord, we do battle right now for our married couples. I pray that you would expose the gift and the grace on every life. God, for those who don't know, they don't know what they're called to, they don't know the gifts that they walk in or operate in. Lord, I thank you that you're uncovering your work. Holy Spirit, your work, your grace in their lives. We thank you, Lord. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. We thank you, Lord, for gifts of wisdom, gifts of knowledge, for prophetic words, for miracles and signs and wonders. We thank you for the gifts of tongues, for serving, for hospitality, Father, for gifts of leadership, Lord. I thank you, God, that every gift, every call of the Lord is without repentance. You give it and give it and give it. You don't remove it. And so, Father, I pray that right now, God, that you would expose each and every one of us to the fullness of grace that you've poured into our lives. And, Father, any place where there is a division, between us, where one of us has led and the other has not stepped in and used the grace. God, I just ask you right now, right now, God, that you'd heal that place and you would unify and strengthen. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Yep, I've just got this impression over and again. There are some of you in here who feel like you don't have, there's not enough oxygen In the relationship for your grace and your thing. And the Lord is saying that I'm holding you accountable to use it. Um, Like you've been faithful to yield. But I'm holding you accountable to the thing that I've placed in you. And maybe if you're the spouse to that person. You need to give permission. Like hey we got to make space for the thing you need to run in. Holy Spirit would you heal us. Lord our hearts are bruised in so many places. Would you heal us? Father, I pray for these couples to be catalytic all around them, God, that people would come to faith in a depth of knowledge of who you are because of their testimony and their life. Lord, help them. God, those who are stretched thin right now. Father, I thank you that we give different things in different seasons, but would you expose what they do have in this season so they can be faithful to give you their lives and their yes. Be with them, King Jesus be with them. Lord, we pray especially um, for Edward and Twinkle right now. If you're around Twinkle right here, would you pray for her? Edward's in India. She spends time here and there, and it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous um, sacrifice that they have to give in this season. And we just want to pray his strength over them. Father, we thank you. We just clothe Edward and Twinkle in your strength, We thank you, Father, that what you call them to, God, you will equip and empower them to do. Father, we thank you that you protect them and you guide them and you go before them. And Lord, as they're being faithful to dispense, Lord, the grace that you've poured in their lives, I thank you that you keep them bound together as one thing. Lord, I thank you that a cord of three strands is not easily broken, and that you're binding Edward and Twinkle together with the person of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. You're stitching them together. Lord, they will not break. We speak power and unity over them. We thank you for the blessing over their marriage and life, over their daughters, and we just say, come, Lord, would you just pour out fresh anointing, fresh wind and fire over their hearts and ministry? Be with them today, Lord. Everything that they're dispensing, everything that they're walking in, God, we just say yes to you. Jesus. Yes to you, Lord. Yes. Yes, Father. Thank you. We bless them, Lord. We bless them in the name of Jesus. For those marriages in the room that are struggling today, we just speak grace and perseverance. Grace and perseverance. Father, I thank you that we're sowing mercy and perseverance into each person. And Lord, I ask you today that we would learn to yield and to soften to our spouse in the place where our hearts are crusty and hard, God, we allow our hearts to go tender again. Holy Spirit, come. Tenderize our hearts. We invite you right now. For every person in this room, would you just open your hands and ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you again? Perhaps for the first time. Holy Spirit, come. You are the promise, the gift of the Father, spoken to us by every prophetic voice commanded by Jesus, who stands at the right hand of the Father, pouring out the Holy Spirit liberally on us as sons and daughters. Lord, we desperately need you. Holy Spirit, we make space. We, we just ask you to come and to fill us again. We long for you, Holy Spirit. We long to feel like we're not just doing things in our own strength. But Lord, it is the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit that breaks down the wall of unbelief around us. It's the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit that gives power in the midst of our weakness. It's the dynamite power of the Spirit who causes you to walk with the Father each and every day and to know that He loves you and delights in you. And it's the power of the Spirit that uniquely gifts you to do all that He's called you to do. Father, I pray, God, that You would... that you would. Um, Breathe new gifts into your body. You said we can ask. We ask for new gifts and graces in this body. I thank you for the gift of faith that you're pouring into us. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you for the gift of faith that I've seen in your people. I thank you, God, for the gift of wisdom in your people, the gift of knowledge and prophecy. Lord, we pray, God, that you would give gifts of discernment to your body today. Lord, that we would be discerning, Father, between spirits. We can know when it's of the Lord and when it's not. We can see. Lord, I thank you that you're giving the gift of spiritual sight to some people, that they see more than they ought to, but it's a gift, Father, because you're bringing them into friendship and you're trusting them with your knowledge, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. God, I thank you for healthy prophecy that flourishes in this house. Healthy prophecy, Father, that is rooted in the body, that serves the nature of the Spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you for the gift of generosity. Lord, that there are men and women in this room who are going to operate in supernatural generosity. Holy Spirit, we give you thanks. Uh, Even now, some of you thought, man, that that gift of generosity only comes when you have a lot. It doesn't. That's the lie. The gift of generosity is cultivated right where you are with what you have. And the Lord says, give. Give. Give out of what you have. Trust me for the rest. So, Lord, we love you. We love you. God, I speak blessing over each and every person in this room. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you and may he be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his countenance to you and give you peace. I pray that every time you turn to him, you see his face and not his back. And that you know that the God of all creation has put his spirit inside of you as his sons and his daughters be with us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Take some time. Hug each other. We'll see you later. Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org.